And this year has been looking at ourselves in the mirror, staring at the man in the mirror, asking him to change his ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> is MJ canceled? <laughs> Welcome to another episode, the last episode of the Bituation Room Podcast of 2020. Boo, boo, boo. I am joined by uh, a man who has been my quarantine partner, my life partner. uh, Your one true love. My turkey daddy in the last few days. Gravy daddy. I made a lot of gravy. Gravy daddy. More gravy than actual money. Uh, How dare you? Gravy is not. (laughs) Uh, it's it's not a pseudonym for anything. Pseudonym? Uh, stand-in? Synonym. Synonym. Euphemism. Euphemism. Gravy is gravy. Gravy is gravy in this case. It's Matt Lieb. You've seen him on Good Mythical Morning, uh, Newsbrook, and the podcast Pod Yourself a Gun, which is a Sopranos podcast that if you're not listening to, you are fucking up. Yeah. Uh, I'm your host, Francesca Fiorentini. What's going on, you guys? Thank you so much for being here once again. If you're on Twitch, hey. If you're on YouTube, like this stream, share it, subscribe, do all the things. If you're listening in the future, if you're in 2021, is it better now? Is it better? Just like drop me a line, bro. <laughs> drop me a line from the future. <laughs> I feel like it's not better. I like that you think that by 2021, they'll have time machines and they'll be like, no, I'm just saying that all the people listening to this in the future. Right. But they can't drop you a line. I mean, I guess they could in the future when they listen to it, be able to text you, go, things are worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's possible. This is like Back to the Future 7 is just my podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just listening to your podcast to me three hint- months later. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel hints about like, <laughs> How definitely bad. go to Hawaii before the lockdown starts. Leave. Mm. Uh, move to South America permanently this time. Um what is going on, everybody? Uh, let's see. I hope everyone had had a good holiday. Also, it's Kwanzaa right now. Happy Kwanzaa. If you celebrate, I want to say that if you don't know, uh, Kwanzaa is an alternative to Christmas that was invented in 1966 by a Pan-Africanist and Black Power movement leader named Maulana Karenga after the Watts riot of 1965. So that's pretty fucking dope. Yeah. I can't celebrate it. Neither can Matt, uh, obviously. Are we not allowed to celebrate it? I don't think so. Well, that's not fair. Sure. Have white people done that yet with Kwanzaa? Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, they're like, I like the candle. (laughs) I swear, like white people, we we enjoy doing that whenever we find out we can't do something. Oh, yeah. So like with Kwanzaa, we'd be like, oh, this is, this is a discrimination. (laughs) If I want to celebrate Kwanzaa. Yeah. I mean, they definitely do it with Hanukkah. They will. They will. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like white Christians, when it comes to Hanukkah, well, their main thing is like stop getting all up in our Christmas business. And uh, and we're like, no, that's the point of Hanukkah is to get up in your business, <laughs> is to make the holidays as insufferable as possible for Christians. That's what I live for. I've never felt the oppression of Hanukkah. Ever. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I, I'm way I felt the oppression of like way too many Christmas carols and mm-hmm. just like every song you've heard me sing. My oh, sure. Christmas song goes Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, are you saying anything? Or are you yeah. just are you just like drunk and nostalgic? Because that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. Um, it's but, just people drinking wine and talking about how it's the most wonderful thing ever. <laughs> so close um, to the mic. <laughs> my ears are gonna explode. My bad, my bad. Turn it down. Nah, you sound um, We've got a great show for you. My good friend and now a history professor at Cornell University, Tej Nagaraja, is here. So excited to have him. Uh, he is a friend of the pod only because he's my homie, and I hope you get to know him and his work. Uh, also, Matt, it will continue to be here despite everyone's pleas and um, cries for him to stop sometimes. Cool. Do people want they me to stop? They talk. They talk. I, I um, don't know why, because I'm great. We're doing a look back Pretty on great. 2020 this year, you guys. We're looking back at the biggest stories. Obviously, this week's news, uh, tonight's news. Trump made news on a Sunday night, of course, because um, we can't have any, you know, uh, day of rest. No. No day of rest. In fact, there's 24 more days yeah. until this motherfucker leaves office. 20, leaves office. 24 Sabbathless days. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. It's been four years of no Sabbath, uh, not a single day of rest from Trump. And uh, he's going to keep that streak going up until January 20th. No Sabbaths off. I guess that's the point of Sabbath is all yeah, Sabbath yeah, yeah, should yeah, be off. Yeah, you take Shabbat off, you take Sabbath off. It's the same thing, except yeah. different days. Um, I want to just mention that it's because of people like you, listeners and viewers of this podcast, that like uh it exists and i relaunched this podcast in 20 in this year in march basically a few weeks into the lockdown it was a perfect time to do it and i'm so so grateful that you guys have been here every week have been listening have given this podcast five stars oh my god have you not you should do it right now uh, on itunes um that you have uh tipped the show <laughs> tbr dash live tbr live on cash app tbr dash live on venmo that just means a lot to me and has kept me going it truly has though um so i just want to say thank you this is episode 65 we are now old enough to qualify for medicare four away from 69 four away from 69 medicare never looking back baby because now we're old mm-hmm. and content yeah um but no uh I also just want to shout out uh, to everyone who's tipped. And if you do tip this week, we're donating a portion of all of your tips to Feeding America, which is a nationwide network of 200 food banks and 60,000 food pantries and programs um, that provide services to people facing hunger. Obviously, this is the holidays. um, And I think anyone who had a turkey dinner and gravy is lucky as hell. So Mm. uh, donate and tip us and we will donate a portion of those proceeds to Feeding America. And just thank you to James G, KT, Juan V, Brent A, Vern V, Shelly M, Robert Y, and Bernard R, Bernarder. Mm. You're more Bernard than Bernard, Bernarder. Yeah. for their donations of 20 bucks or more, your tips, you get a shout out from me, but we also have new things coming in the new year. So we will no longer be relying on Venmo or Cash App or any of the other probably evil f- money transferring apparatuses. You're moving to a, a less compromised one? I hope so. Hmm. It'll just be a direct check. Yeah, right. Send your checks just- to, <laughs> and then you give your address and you're like, oh, this was a mistake. One of the packages was a bomb. Just gotta watch out. YouTube oh, is a dangerous God. place. Well, let's get into what we're bitching about right now, you guys. But let me bring in for the hour. He 
he has a doctorate in history from NYU uh, and a postdoctoral fellowship in global studies at Harvard. He is currently a professor of history at Cornell School, Cornell School of Industry. Uh, this is why this is my friend. And now I'm fucking up his credits. You're but done. I have to prove that I'm actually smart, as smart as he is. But let me start again. <clears throat> He is currently a professor of history at Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations, and his book manuscript is tentatively titled Soldiers of the American Dream, War Work, Jim Crow, and Freedom Movements in the Shadow of U.S. Power. Mm. We marched on many streets together. Please welcome Tej Nagaraja. Thanks for having me, Francesca. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here. Um, Love your lamp. Professor. I, uh, I, I outfitted it just for you all. It looks good. It matches the drapes. Um, for the people on the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, if, uh, for people who are listening just audio, uh, it's true. The lamp does match the drapes. Yep, as they say. As they say. <laughs> as they say. Yeah. <laughs> Tej, uh, thank you so much for being here. Tej and I go way back. Uh, NYU anti-war organizing days. Nine uh, eleven yep. happened in our first year of school, pretty much. Oh, that's right. Welcome to adulthood. Yeah. Here's a couple wars for you. Uh, march on the streets against those wars. I think a few, a little bit of a global justice movement marches too before, you know, global capitalism didn't fully engulf the entire world with Walmarts and, you know, um, shake, shake weights. I don't right. know. Shake shack. Shake shack and shake shacks. A lot of shakes. Um, yep. but Tej and I go way back and it's good to see you. You're in cold ass Ithaca. I am in cold ass Ithaca, but uh, <laughs> it's good to connect coast to coast and uh, and uh, and talk to you about whatever we're going to talk about. Oh my God, we have so much to get through tonight, and I'm really excited that we have you here, uh, so I can just quiz you on all the shit that you've been learning since you decided to pursue higher education, and I decided to pursue stand up comedy. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> both of you made perfectly perfectly good made career good choices. Um, you you chose your own paths, each of you, and you're each doing well in your own right. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to start off with what you're bitching about. Um, just a so real quick, everyone in the comments, what are you bituating on tonight? It's the last bituation room of the year. We're going to get into talking about the stimulus. We're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and the incessant killing of unarmed Black Americans. But other than all of those pockets of awful, what are you bitching about now? Hmm. Matt, what are you bitching about? I'm bitching about um, the recent discourse around Wonder, Wo Wonder Woman 1984. Mm. Um, and and uh, just a very specific portion of the discourse, um, which has been exciting <laughs> to me. It's that... Um, the most niche discourse. The most niche discourse, uh, which is the uh, the intersection between uh, Wonder Woman and uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, apparently, uh, the there's this thing you see. It's called the new anti-Semitism uh, that has been talked about by the right wing a lot, and it's about how criticism of Israel is actually anti-Semitism, right. uh, which. Uh, that feels like an old one, but I guess it's new. At this point, it's old, but they still keep calling it the new anti. I mean, it's newer than in the history of anti-Semitism. It's a lot of it. It's yeah, a long... exactly. There's okay. like thousands of years of the old anti-Semitism, and then about seventy years of the new. Um, and uh, anyway, so that's a progress ship. But um, now the new anti-Semitism uh, includes thinking that uh, Gal Gadot is bad at acting uh, because she <laughs> is terrible. She's she is not a good actress. And you know what? 
that's okay. There's been a lot of people who are not good at acting who have had fine I, careers. I do not think so. <laughs> like, like her moment, it's like all the music swells and she is like, I yeah. would not do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very <laughs> okay. much like every line uh, could just be easily re replaced with two more Xanax, please. <laughs> like she's, she's, she's God. just, uh, she's like, uh, she's like a Tommy Wiseau type character, you know, from, from the room, which yeah. is the worst movie ever made. She just, she has, um, she does just has no skill. She's not good at acting and that's, and that's fine. But yet now everyone is coming out against, uh, this movie because like we all were kind of excited about it. Cause the first Wonder Woman was pretty good. Like she wasn't, I saw it on a plane. Yeah. I saw it on a plane too. I think we saw it next to each other and it was like, it was fine. It was whatever. This movie is incomprehensible garbage and it's just not good. And she is particularly bad in it. Uh, and already the kind of like, uh, the right wing Jewish Twitter people are, uh, you know, they're 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 ready with their hitting Gal Gadot is anti-Semitism takes. And uh, I just feel like, you know, in a year of maybe some of the worst online discourse I have ever seen um, this this discourse is uh, is top five, at least it's mm. it's top five. That's a good one. That's a good one to habituate on. In the yeah. middle of, I didn't watch the whole thing, but in the middle of it, uh, I started singing, imagine there's no Gaza, <laughs> which might be considered anti-Semitic if I say that. No, I don't think so. She's she sung Imagine and she fought the idea. Yeah, that's fair. Is fair. Fair is fair. Yeah. Um, that's a good one, Matt. What about you, Tej? What are you habituating about? Well, I'm, I'm still trying to process this news about, uh, about this country music mural where uh, they, uh, they've removed moved Taylor Swift kind of uh, stealthily <laughs> and put in Brad Paisley. And um, did they just know, paint over her face? <laughs> did they topple it like other statues of the year? No, no, it's a mural. So they've, oh, they've, yeah. they've just they've just painted Brad Paisley and Brad Paisley is legit. You know, I think I want to check you for ticks is a good mm. it was a good song. And um, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the accidental racist duet he did with LL Cool J, I think was a bit of a misfire, but we can we can let that one go. But I, I think I think it is a I think it is a it is a culture war sort of, you know, because Taylor Swift proved herself in country, but then, of course, went beyond both yeah. in terms of success, but also seen as she's seen as kind of a little progressive and a little transgressive. Mm. So I think the sort of country corporate establishment uh, was like might be clamping down. Becoming more political recently, like speaking out about yeah. I think in the 2018 midterm, she was like. Absolutely. We need to get out the vote. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she also was uh, pulling the weight in Tennessee, you know, where, mm -hmm. where there was a, a, you know, a key race. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, you know, we, we, we have to look into this, the details of, <laughs> of this, um, this mural erasure, but I think, uh, I think it is a big fight and she's, she's been key this year with her two uh, quarantine albums. Um, so I think, I think we should all uh, put our energies and sort of work with, the broad coalition of Swifties on this one. I know where my $600 check is going. Mm. Straight, straight into Swifties pocket. Straight. I'm <laughs> buying paint and painting it over. You're going to, you're going to repaint the mural. Yes. It'll would... be like the Jesus, <laughs> yeah. you know, the repainting of Jesus <laughs> yeah. interpretation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. When they turned him into like monkey Jesus <laughs> yeah. and we were just like, Oh no, that's not, that's not it at all. Um, Tej, uh, it's interesting hearing you say that because, um, in the last maybe two weeks, Francesca has been on a <laughs> hmm. Taylor uh, Taylor Swift tear where she has just been 
I'm take curious, dude. I'm take curious. You are take curious. And I was wondering, like, where is this coming from? Like, what, like, of all the people, like, you have your occasional, like, pop loves. Like, you love Beyonce. You love Cardi B. And, like, that's, you know, I, I, I understand that. But Taylor Swift came completely out of left field. And now I understand where it came from. It came from you, Tej. You've been <laughs> filling her mind with yep. this Tay propaganda. And now she <laughs> cannot stop playing. She can't stop playing Taylor She's Swift. She's been Once you're tape-pilled, it, it, <laughs> it, um, it's, it's a pretty nefarious thing. And it's a gateway. And so so we do what oh, we God. can to Am make I going to be happen. listening to who, who's next? Do oh. I start to listen to Brad Paisley? Or, like, or is it Kelly Clarkson? Or uh, look, I think there's nothing wrong with Kelly Clarkson. No, I don't think so either. Uh, Except I don't really love the music, but yeah, that's a big. She has home furnishings on Wayfair, and uh, cool, dude. Uh, That's sick. Does she? I think that's cool. I didn't know that. Um, but I will say that Taylor Swift's last album is actually kind of soothing and yeah. I don't apologize for liking it because everything in this year has been trash. So of me kind of getting on board with a pop star who was definitely grown in some kind of lab and Oh, for sure. And her me- songwriting, maybe she writes may- maybe like, don't jump on me Tej, but I think I feel like she doesn't write all of her songs. She Co- co-writes she, all of her songs. Okay, exactly. Yeah, exactly. but we never she's know what like, that means, though, she's right? She's like, I want to just think about a cardigan, and they're like, cool, and then it's a co-write. All right, I'm not going to... No, she might sexist. actually She might actually write her song. She plays... She's a guitar player, you know, and she comes... That's, and to be honest, like, the music is not... It's not... It's good music. Don't get me wrong. To me, melodies and whatnot are really, really good. It's not complicated music. So, right. so but it's, it's but that's not songwriting doesn't have to be complicated. No, it doesn't. So that's why it's believable that she would write it. Um, although some of the melodies are um too good and they do have that like it's possible. There's always a Swede. You know what I mean? There's and, always a Swede in there. In pop music. The, the Evermore album she wrote, she wrote with two other people. And if you watch the Evermore okay. film mm-hmm. on 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 uh, on the other network, let's say, um, yes. you know, uh, you get she dialogues with them. So it is Thanks. absolutely a brand. There's no question. But I, I think it's it's a well a well managed brand, and it's a good. It's it's, it's a, know, it it's, has its merits. Sometimes we need a good brand. We're moving on because uh-huh. we got a lot to get to. Um, I am bitching about something very simple, which is in this entire time of COVID, all I wanted was a government issued N95 mm. mask. Mm. Just give me the N95. We know we need one. And instead, this administration like gave a bunch of mo- like millions of dollars to some dude to fry a fly a prop plane to try and get N95s from China. And then mm. he failed. Like there's been all kinds of N95 capers, like failed capers. And the one thing we haven't had is just a mask. Like if we're supposed to wear a mask, which I think we should, it's been on all of us to be like, okay, I guess I'll buy one for, you know, 12 to 20 bucks on Etsy or wherever the, like Uh they're not necessarily cheap and especially not an N95. So, but we, I did get one from covered California, which if you guys aren't in California is basically the, Obamacare of California. Of California. Yeah. 
which uh, BT dubs haven't been to the doctor all year. Mm-hmm. I, I I am paying through the nose for healthcare every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't been to the doctor, never got a refund, no money. My dental coverage was like, oh, we'll, we'll discount you a month. I was like, thanks, bro. <laughs> but, but no, no doctors. And of course, next year, all the premiums are going to go up because, you know, the price of pap smear for some reason in 2020, mm-hmm. fucking the advances yeah. in the pap. Yeah. Um, People but anyway. are requesting more smear for their pap. <laughs> it's smear. Oh, smear. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> pap smear. <laughs> so just to say, uh, yes, I got a mask from Covered California. Fuck them. Like, I mean, my so money should late. pay for more. But I just. So late. Just a mask. Just yeah. an N95. We want a federal mask. I want a federal mask. I'm not dude. talking about some bullshit state mask. Yeah, dude. I want. I don't want a Newsome mask. Say, I like, want a MAGA Trump. on it. Yeah, I want a Trump. Because that's the thing. You'd figure he would. The guy was so wedded to yeah. to saying that COVID was fake that he missed a branding opportunity to like he put his name on the that's stimulus good. checks. Put your name on the mask. Exactly. Send everyone those masks. It would have been tacky, there of course, been but necessary. Hun- probably, I'm I'm going to say a hundred thousand fewer deaths. Even if he there had been yeah. a government issued mask, every man, woman, and child. Yeah, if everyone had gotten a mask. Yeah, and he could have put MAGA on it. He could have put a you know fucking his face. It's okay. His di- his How about just like the it. lower part of his face? You yeah. know, like Beyonce had d- did that recently. Yeah. I uh, guess I do like Beyonce. Okay, reading some of your comments, Todd Roy. Hey, Todd, what's up? Bitching about Trump golfing while people are dying and hungry. Absolutely. Today he went golfing again. Yeah. Uh, Hal Wasserman on YouTube. I'm bitching about DoorDash food always arriving cold. You know, it comes with the territory. Just don't get ramen off of it. Yeah. You get, never get, get cold ramen stuff. off get of sushi. DoorDash. Yeah, get sushi. Uh, get ice cream. Wait, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. But always give five stars, just like you give five stars to this podcast. Because oh, you yeah. know, other than that, uh, you are uh, turning your back on the working class. So that's right. Gotta give five stars. Always five stars. Third wheel, eighteen, nineteen eighty five. A A U. The COVID researcher who got raided by cops that pointed guns at her children's faces. Absolutely, that was like some Elian Gonzalez of COVID shit that happened. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, I didn't even follow up on that. This year's had so much news that like the crazy shit like that just fell through the cracks. Or I was like, oh yeah, more fascist stuff. Anyways. Yeah. No, I mean that was like some Ron DeSantis. Like, uh, must must keep all the COVID numbers under wraps. And she was reporting out the actual numbers and yeah, had federal or state agents like come into her fucking home. Yeah. And um, like they they like took her computer or something like that. I don't know. It was crazy. Ridiculous. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to move on to the big news items of the week. This is the week where. Okay. Fuck Christmas. All right. Fuck Christmas. Fuck everything else that happened this week. Fuck your presents and all the things you didn't get. People are broke, okay? Fuck the package that didn't arrive on time. Mm -hmm. Only two big things happened this week. This was the week where every Christmas villain, from the Grinch to Krampus to Scrooge, looked at Donald Trump and was like, damn, that's cold. (laughs) Because the lame duck president threatened to not sign a COVID relief bill and a federal funding bill, which would have delayed unemployment checks and stimulus payments to Americans, and of course, might have shut down the government. But just before we went on air, Trump did find the goodness in his heart. His little heart grew 10 times like mm-hmm. the Grinch because we were all like, Yahoo, Doris, <laughs> Yahoo, 
Dory, give me money. Now. Okay. <laughs> and Trump signed the fucking bill. Of course, of course, uh, it is not the $2,000 that he said that he wanted. It was the $600 that Congress had to haggle over and finally agreed upon. Uh, it is absolutely a lump of coal, but hey, I'm taking that coal. Um, yeah, coal makes fire and keeps houses warm. <laughs> I mean, let's absolutely and silver lining of getting coal in your stocking. Just so you guys are clear, um, I think there's been some confusion about this bill because it was both a federal spending bill and the COVID relief bill lumped into one. And mm -hmm. so the fact that there were line items that Trump was upset about. In fact, those were line items that he himself proposed, right? Like mm. things like funding to governments around the world, you know, and like democracy promotion or like uh, funding the Smithsonian or funding the Kennedy Center. And he was like, he's basically railing against those things. Those were in his own own office's motherfucking budget. Like, and honestly, to lump those two things together and wait for Trump to sign them is like making your ex-boyfriend the ring bearer and having him plan your wedding. <laughs> like, why would you do that? You know how yeah. it's going to end. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's going to be on fire. Yeah. Um, and then he's going to steal all the chicken and the fish and leave with it. Absolutely. In the van. And make out with your maid of honor. Yeah. Uh, you have and, a really shitty ex. <laughs> yeah, and whatever, roll a sex tape. There's going to be some revenge porn what? webs. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to play this this clip for you uh, really quick and get your guys' thoughts. This is where Trump was three days before Christmas. This was um, his argument for not signing this stimulus when he should have. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package and maybe that administration will be me. What? That's where he is now, apparently, with the whole uh, stop the steal is like, maybe I'll do a coup. Yeah. Maybe I won't. Coups to say. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but, but I mean, Tej, where were you when you heard that he wanted to hold this up for $2,000 checks? And what, what were your thoughts on that when he, when he floated that? Yeah. And, you know, I think um, it's, uh, it's a lot of it is. I mean, this is some of his success is the way that he has worn us down and mm. sort of have to respond to these games and these these maneuvers. Um, so it's become normal for us. And that's I mean, that's his probably his biggest success over the last five years right. um, that we can't even really even talk about the suffering that's happening um, in in this country and this month. Um because of that. Um, but it's, you know, if any, it, it's just staggering how, you know, you have McConnell as sort of the cold face of total austerity and, and no kind of uh, any relief of any kind, the most extreme nightmare neoliberalism. And mm -hmm. Trump is the face of the exact same thing, uh, but delivered, you know, 
Um, you know, some media will say he's a populist and, and, and he's actually intriguing, but he's not really intriguing. Um, he's, right. he's doing that same McConnell, Paul Ryan, and Rand Atlas shrugged thing. Uh, but you know, with these games and, um, it's, Absolutely. it's stunning. And, you know, the thing will be for progressives in the next month or two and into January, February to, to point back and say, look at let's look at the suffering that was happening and let's look at um you know what we need to do now um to really turn the page on this um For because, sure. uh it, it can't just be normalized yeah i mean this was the moment where i was like oh shit like you know, if he somehow, you know, and even me, I'm like, oh man, is he going to do this? That would be great for people, mm. but that would also be this like sort of last minute. I've always been afraid that Trump does the right thing in a way yeah. only because it'll give him way more popularity. And yet, I mean, we, then we'll be in that bind, which is arguably a better bind than him doing always the wrong thing. Right. But I think from a political narrative, it's yeah. like, here's this person who might actually deliver on his populism which or his fake populism as we all know and that's initially when he first came to office like bernie sanders was getting reamed because he was like look i'll work with trump if trump wants to help working people right. as he said on the campaign trail mm -hmm. i won't work with him around you know uh, a muslim ban i won't work with him around you know the xenophobic stuff but i'll work with him around these other things and he didn't you right. know so and and you could see you know Rashida Tlaib and AOC Pat putting forward this like last minute uh, $2000 stimulus check to every American and of course like clockwork house republicans voted it down yeah they are the joe pesci and daniel stern of <laughs> yeah. this christmas they're the wet bandits they're the sticky bandits oh yeah that's right that's right that's i forgot home alone that, too. Th they updated <laughs> yeah it's interesting because um it, it almost seems like uh, what Trump did was this really brilliant tactic. Um, uh, trying to get two thousand dollars, what he did was uh, is he forced he forced the vote, and then the vote went exactly as we knew it would, which was the Republicans shot it shot down, it down. Yeah. and then he signed the bill anyway. So uh, so it's almost like that tactic does nothing. Yeah, I mean, he proved his own point, which is yeah. that he's always been a fake populist, yeah. and he'll just use the the noise mm -hmm. uh, to get elected. He'll say, "I'll deliver something better than Obamacare." Yeah. Oh, it'll be better than Obamacare. Yes, universal health care. Everyone deserves health care. Yeah. Where's the fucking plan? There is no health care. It, it's his. It's his very specific way of what he thinks is negotiation, which is like uh, whining and then trying to just say. I'm going to do this thing. And he thinks he can do these things unilaterally. Mm -hmm. And then um, he he did, you know, everything that you would expect someone who's pressuring Congress to do. I'm going to stop, you know, millions of Americans from receiving, uh, you know, uh, unemployment benefits, stimulus, and we're going to do this or you're not getting it at all. And they were like, nah. And he was like, fine. But it's, but it, it, yeah. And I guess to me, it's so interesting because, these are all Trump loyalists, like like uh, uh, um, supposedly, right? You know, in, on paper, in theory, they're all supposed to be loyalists. They do whatever he says. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as he wants them to do this $2,000, then they're like, oh, no, 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 we're not there with you. Yeah. So it's this, it's bizarre to me. It's a bait and switch. And it's also like a kind of completely revealing that, yeah, he is all talk and mm -hmm. he is not able 
he he is being used by his party just as much as his party is using him and mm-hmm. he is he delivered them the presidency and he, and i'm i'm curious to see where all this is going to go um i mean fuck he, i'm not saying his political career is done but i think it is very revealing what just happened that when push came to shove mm-hmm. that loyalism did nothing to push through his bullshit you know uh working man mm-hmm. you know hero type whatever his narrative that he wants to like be respected yeah. for. um anyway and oh yeah yeah so 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 here we are six hundred dollars a pop cool cool and Sick, uh, bro hell yeah i'm gonna use that to pay a third of my rent <laughs> uh Very yeah it's, it's uh and and yay i'm glad that like the government has been funded can we just sign a bit can we just do that for the next three years yeah is that how it works is it can it not work like that it's yeah i mean what's what's annoying about the 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 government being funded is um all of the all the stuff that they fund that is just garbage too i mean that was the thing about what this bill was tied to was uh, a list of countries who were getting you know millions hundreds of millions of dollars right and uh i don't know you just and some of them i'm like i don't want to be like a crazy isolationist like i'm not saying that like i know where that mo- that that money should not go to like gender programs in pakistan like, right that's <laughs> or a, a, bil- a billion dollars to Egypt, where where I'm well, like a billion dollars to Egypt's military that that I have more of an issue with. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but but that's what I'm saying. So I I, I just kind of go like, y- you live in so much uh, non transparency when it comes to how they spend the money. That uh, I don't know. He didn't he not sign the military bill recently? Didn't didn't he knock yeah, that? Yeah, the NDA. Yeah, and part of me was like, I don't know. That's I'm kind of okay with that. Right. <laughs> like I'm okay with parts of that. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's. But then you find out his reasoning is all like because we're not selling enough weapons, right? I know know? it's always the worst possible scenario for why he's not doing something. But you're just like, oh god. Uh, Let's move on to the second thing. The only other thing that happened this week, um, also to do with our lame duck president. This was the week where the presidential pardons rolled on in a very real who's who of white collar criminals and mass murderers. All very Hague chic. Uh, pardons include former Blackwater employees who killed or wounded 31 Iraqi civilians, law enforcement officials that did things like beat an undocumented immigrant or sick a canine on a homeless person, corrupt Republicans law, uh, and lawmakers and Trump loyalists and donors like former representative Duncan Hunter. Really? Uh, Duncan Hunter got yeah, pardoned? pardoned. And his damn. wife. Jared Kushner's dad, Charles Kushner, and of course, everyone convicted of lying to the FBI in the Trump-Russia investigation, including Paul Manafort and Roger Stone. Um, and like the way that the pardon power is being abused right now just makes you realize how much the founding fathers were no better than like kids in a treehouse mm-hmm. just making up yeah. self-flagellating rules yeah. for governance. You're like, mm-hmm. like, so okay, so like as long as one of us is president, <laughs> as long as like, you know, we're like the white landowning, <laughs> the good guys, you know, like maybe we've got slaves, um, yeah. then the nation is good, you know, so like no need to worry. And, you know, there will never be a more powerful gun than the musket. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that level they were just art like who the fuck invents pardon power 
and it, with no stipulations. Yeah. Like I hate all the like, well, can he do that? It's like fucking, I don't know. Yeah, they, they very clearly just came from uh from like monarchy to republicanism. Like, and it's it's clear when they were like, Well, of course, we're going to uh have the power to pardon literally anyone in the executive branch. And one person was probably like, What about uh the right of prima nocta? That's where the king can fuck any bride right before they get married. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay, no prima nocta, but we can do pardon power. <laughs> Those are the rules. Prima nocta. Yeah, That's dude. the name of this podcast. <laughs> Definitely the name of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. Tej, you're a historian. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I, I we'll see the numbers, but I think at least uh, as of the, before this last term, but even maybe now, Trump has done actually less clemency than any president since the 1800s. Wow. Um, uh, you know, he might do a bunch more. Uh, of course, it'll be very weighted to horrible 1%, you know, people. Uh, right. But he's done less than, than any president since the 1800s of late. Um, and this is also happening, we have to understand, as he is doing more federal executions Right. In one year than any president since the 1800s. Um, so these two things are, you know, whenever we say what is truly unprecedented and then we debate, well, actually, other presidents are bad, too. These two things are actually not since the 1800s. And I, and I, I mean, I think it just really distills a lot of what he's about, which follows from a lot of Republican uh, uh you know, tradition in recent decades, but he's really distilled it purely where it's, you know, total license for my team, for the winners um, and total, sure. Im total impunity, total uh, impunity, even from anything um, and uh, and total no mercy and no rights um, for others. And I mean, I think just the connections are so I mean, you can tell a story of sort of the modern right through his through his clemencies, you know, like yeah. Roger Stone, Nixon strategist, through like Paul Manafort, who was doing all the like offshoring deals for Reagan with in Mobutu and Savimbi and Marcos, <laughs> right. through Scooter Libby, who is like really one of the most important figures of the sort of neocon, you know, mm -hmm. regime, just as much as or as Rumsfeld or Cheney, Scooter Libby, and then you know the Blackwater massacre. That name too. In Sorry, 2007, yeah. um, you know, which is just such a clear, clear message to to Iraqis and to the world. I mean, it's, it's just such a story of sort of neocon and Kissinger, you know, power, domestic and foreign. And he also did he also did um, several for for domestic law enforcement. Right. For a cop uh, who who sicked a dog on a homeless person. Yep. For uh, I think a either border, border, patrol, border agent. patrol or yep. ICE. Um, you know, who, who, who assaulted an undocumented person. So I think just that clear message, um, you know, and it's, it's something we, we really have to say with that and the executions that he's carrying out, it's not just symbolic or just like, oh, that's bad too. I mean, this has very real significance and very mm -hmm. real impact for sort of the culture and future, future policy. Um, it's, you know, it's, yeah, not it's like, just, uh, it, I mean, I, all these people are out anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. they, they're not serving time. Was Charles some of Kushner, them are was he, he out? He served two years, I believe, oh, okay. or was facing two years. I can't remember how much he served, but it is, 
yeah, completely wiping the slate. But if it weren't, like if these were like, it's funny because these people are already loose. But if you think about like their net evil in the world, like yeah. if they were just like a prison break, you know, where normally it'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. drug offenders and, uh, you know, people who didn't pay their debts or right, like, yeah. you know, maybe a rapist in there or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. Like that's far less frightening than yeah. these motherfuckers, these yeah. like international war criminal, yeah. like mm -hmm. back dealing, swindling however many you know people yeah. out of their out of tax money, out of their payments. Like this is the worst. It would be like if uh, those like three Kryptonian bad guys from Superman like escaped that like you know that two dimensional like shadow realm thing. No. Oh, this is a very specific Superman reference. <laughs> Which one? Which one was that? Uh, I think it was part two. It was the one where like uh, there's like three guys. They're all from Krypton. They all wear black. One of them's Russian for no reason, uh, and uh, they're they're in this like square, but they escape and then they're fighting Superman. Uh, this is, I feel like I'm being very crystal yeah, clear okay. on what this is. <laughs> Basically, it's a super villain prison break. Fiddlin yeah, Nero on uh, Twitch says Phantom, the Phantom Zone. Zone. Remember, yeah. they get out of the Phantom Zone. This is like all of those fools escaped out of the Phantom Zone. We would all be like, oh, shit, call the National Guard. <laughs> but because he's doing it piecemeal and he's doing it with people who are already out, we're like, oh, that's just white collar that's criminals lame, or dude. people who never, ever see any. Because these are. Yeah, so it's interesting because you're saying there's like a historic low clemency granting or pardoning, which isn't the same thing. But from this president, it's just that the people he is actually pardoning are the worst. Yeah. And usually, yeah. and he's executing people who under other presidencies, yes, there were exceptions. Clinton like pardoned his, you know, like brother-in-law or some shit mm -hmm. for cocaine. But like usually it's those folks who are on death row or like, the, or you know, those folks who are in prison who might get clemency or who are out and but they want their record absolved because they were innocent. Mm -hmm. He's putting those people to death at yeah, this point absolutely. at an unprecedented rate. Absolutely. And I mean him and Bar I mean him and William Bar William Barr, who was a Iran Contra Reagan official. I mean it's a very it's a very clear message to to the to the one percent neocon operatives and it's a clear message to the Two million people that are locked up in this country who, you know, other presidents would do a token, you know, oh, let's right. let out some people, nonviolent drug offenses. Let's do, you know, right. a, a couple dozen of those. Um, and, you know, we will see if he does. And, you know, I, I certainly sympathize with any individuals that might benefit, but it doesn't look like it so far. Um, so it's it's just a very, very clear message of that. I mean, this is a mass incarceration, you know, on steroids vision to mm -hmm. pardon to pardon these people and give clemency to these people for sure well we have to move on to look back at this heinous heinous year but first i want to read some comments kimberly mcnaught thank you for two super chats and happy birthday everybody happy birthday kimberly happy birthday, happy birthday. it's your birthday it's your birthday um it's a good time to have a birthday actually maybe it's a bad time because not enough presents yeah but no, you got to share it with everyone's jesus everyone's kind of chill yeah that Ugh. sucks but it's a good it's a good kind of downtime. Um, Sarah Mac ninety seven. Since March, eligible Canadians have been getting two thousand dollars every four week period. Many have slipped through the cracks, but I can't imagine having gotten nothing since March. Oh, uh, let me tell you right now, it's fucking sick. 
it's sick living in this country, dude. You're like, imagine all, all their of freedoms, though. Yeah, you don't even know the problem. How many freedoms is, yeah, because they don't even have freedoms over there. Right. I know. That's like the biggest problem. Like they Canada. have to go to the doctor when they're sick. Right. Like we have the freedom to be like, nah, I can walk this. Bleed out. I can walk this broken leg off. <laughs> you know, pick myself up by my bootstraps. <laughs> Um, and third wheel 1985 AU says we need to step into 2021 carefully. Do not touch anything. Absolutely. That is definitely how I feel. But before we do that, let's look back on this year. This is the year where. Um, <laughs> it's good music. I'm sorry. It's great music. Uh, and, and we're going to look back. And, and when I initially thought about this, I realized that 2020 has just been a year of lessons. Like it feels like America had like, first of all, it's had many actual death experiences, but it's had like 10 near death experiences. It's got its palm red. It got married and divorced 30 times. And then it took like an ayahuasca trip in Peru. Uh, all at the same time, this year has been looking at ourselves in the mirror, staring at the man in the mirror, asking him to change his ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is MJ canceled? No, keep doing Michael okay. Jackson references. <laughs> yeah. But the real looking in know, the mirror, eating some pudding pops. <laughs> like let's. <laughs> but, but you know, it's it is this whole experience, specifically COVID, has like shown this. You know, as we've said on Newsbroke, this black light onto American democracy, infrastructure, um, the economy, and just the fact that. So many people before this were living far too close to like the crack, you know, mm -hmm. and falling in it. And so many people um, have now fallen in that and have yeah. now, um, you know, are going to be facing eviction, have faced eviction um, and or death, job loss, the, the lack of protections. And that is the biggest one of the biggest stories to me of the year. And then the other two stories which absolutely intersect are the defeat of Donald Trump and the entire election, what that means for, you know, Democrats, what it means for Republicans, what it means for our country, this defeat of fascism. And then finally, like the Black Lives Matter movement and just how much they um, were like this bright light, despite be coming out of something awful, um, but that showed us that um, this fight is not over that people are getting politicized and radicalized and taking the streets. They can enact legislative consequences for, um, you know, district attorneys like here in LA who don't prosecute, you know, killer cops. Um, they'll be replaced. So there is some hope there, but to me, those were the three big stories. And I think I want to take them one by one and we're not going to get to all of this, but you know, I've been thinking and Tej, I want your thoughts and, and Matt also, um, that like we're so this country is now it's just so obvious what like late stage capitalism we're in, you know, that we're like um, I think I said la on last show, like the JFK bathrooms, you know, or it's like, yeah, there's, you know, there's like a Svarsky and like a mm -hmm. really fancy store outside, but like the bathroom stalls don't close. Right. It's All like the private places are great. The private places are great. And, the, and there's no public. The one public space is the worst bathroom you've ever seen in your life. Exactly. And, and I think there's been a lot of comparison to like the new deal and the way and FDR and Biden saying that he wants to be as progressive as FDR and knowing that we are going to be facing a great recession, depression and worse. Um, and 
that we might need and we will need something as bold as the new deal. And so I'm curious about what you guys think, you know, and, and Tej, what are your thoughts on like, what are the differences between then and now? And in terms of where America's at, how we get out of this place and like how we're going to get the political will to truly have a new deal, a new, new deal. And like, what, what did that look like at the time? You know, there were resistant, there was a lot of resistance to a new deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a huge question. And I think um, <laughs> if you look at, you know, the, a lot of the Green New Deal, Green New Deal activists and Black Lives activists, there's, there is a lot of study, there is a lot of historical study happening, which I think is really, really heartening. And um, I mean, to get, get back to some of that, you know, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort type stuff, you know, part of the message that Bernie was trying to convey was this idea of a global crisis, right? This idea mm -hmm. of a global economic and global political crisis, right? That we, in some ways, not seen since the 1940s, where you have, because of the economic situation, sort of a social and political situation, which creates both left-wing possibilities and far-right possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, you know, with Trump and Modi in India and Putin and Bolsonaro, right? And I think that's part of what the 30s was about, right? That it was a global crisis with the rise of fascism on the right, with communist and socialist and leftist movements. And that was a real, you know, a, a lot of what was responded to by American leaders was, you know, the threat of right-wing order, right-wing disorder, left-wing order, left-wing disorder created openings um, for, at least for the parts of the New Deal that were positive to sort of mm -hmm. say that, you know, uh, sort of the center cannot hold. We need some kind of reform um, to sort of even reproduce a status quo, even re reproduce a normal. Uh, and there was just a, a, a dialectic between sort of the top down and the bottom up. There was bottom up social movements, unemployed councils, tenants movements uh, that, you know, leftists participated in, uh, as well as liberal progressive people. And then, you know, you had top down policy, like the Wagner Act, making it easier to form unions, which then allowed the CIO to form and, and build its sort of bottom up insurgency um, you know, benefiting from FDR's policies and that creating a new sort of bottom-up dynamic. Um, and then World War II comes in, which created new openings for, for unionization. Right. So I think some of that dynamic is a lot of, you know, what we'll have to look to. And I think, you know, your AOC and other, and, and Sanders and other progressives are going to have to see, you know, it's not going to be a, a sort of a beautiful process of winning uh, a lot of things we want, but what are some of the sort of material openings, symbolic openings also, um, symbolic victories that can be claimed and built on to sort mm. of tell a story. Um, but I think, I think some of that dynamic is what we have to look to. And, you know, in that period in the 30s and 40s, it was bound up also in the racial regime of Jim Crow in the South and its variants in the North and the West, and also rising militarism with World War II and the turn to the Cold War. So yeah. I think, you know, a lot of Black Lives activists, Green New Deal activists um, are conscious of that. Um, you know, me and Francesca contributed to this book that Kate Aronoff uh, co-edited, We Own the Future. Um, you know, the ways to sort of bring about these sort of positive uh, aspects of the New Deal while also uh, to sort of not replicate 
racial exclusions as well as sort of militarist uh, sort of complicity. So, you know, it's a huge yeah. conversation. Um, yeah. But I want to pick on one of those some things. wisdom to, to tap in. Yeah. And one of those things is the like that labor movement, you know, and I feel <laughs> like, you know, in the year 2020, I feel like we can definitely say uh, Capital One labor lost. Like, yeah. you know, Jeff Bezos is a trillionaire. Like, I'm not saying that's not, it's not, uh, it is hopeless. I'm not saying we give up, but we are suffering from decades of a uh, decimated labor movement and of capital, like coalescing to crush it and, uh, systematically since whatever the seventies, eighties. So, and here we are now in a time when, you know, uh, you know, even something as ridiculous, even something as basic as universal health care, it's so clear that like, and the ways that, you know, some labor unions have been against Medicare for all, not all of them, but some of them have been against mm -hmm. because they see Medicare uh, health care as part of their benefits. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but you have to have a job in order to be part of a union in order to even get those health benefits. Yeah. What if you just got fired? What if you lost your job? Right. And so it is, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, where do you see I mean, in terms of openings, for, was it this dismal before like the, the labor movement of like the 30s and even earlier, you know, was it this bad? I'm sure it was. There were kids in coal mines and there was Jim Crow laws, like you're saying. But like, you know, I'm trying to take some sort of fortitude from the history and say it's been this bad before we can rebuild the labor movement. I mean, I think it, it's uh, the answer is yes and no. I mean, I'll I'll say the pessimistic stuff first. I mean, that was you know, that the, the er, that era was the era of sort of high industrialism and mass industrialism, where from the business side, there was an investment in creating stable long-term jobs. Um, not I'm not saying business wanted well-paying jobs, but there was sort of a basis to, you know, like the Henry Ford Fordist model where you want uh, you want to sell cars to working class people. So you do have to pay working class people enough that they can buy a car and buy another right. one 10 years later. Um, right. And and as I said, with World War II and, you know, the sort of needs of that, there were top down sort of, uh, you know, uh, openings um, that that the sort of turn to neoliberalism since since the 1970s um, and, and this sort of turn away from sort of business leaders who might accept certain reforms towards a more just um, you know, money laundering, you know, predatory elite. Uh, that that's a, that's sort of a, a tricky, tricky one. But on the flip side, you know, absolutely, like I said, it's sort of a dynamic between sort of bottom up movements, and especially those were you know we forget that sort of the CIO movements they were young people and immigrant and second generation immigrant movements too. Like we we can sometimes. You could watch like Roger and me, like Michael Moore and be like, oh, look, all like mainstream white people were like left wing unionists. But it's it's not right. that simple. I mean, there was plenty of right wing opposition to unions, uh, not just from elites, but from ordinary people. But you had these pockets, especially Catholic and Jewish, like immigrants or second generation people, often, you know, 25 or 30 years old. So they were kind of young people, too. And. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, migrating and experiencing migration from Europe, from Latin America and within the U.S., white and black Americans. So there were, you know, there were these sort of openings and they built sort of core bases of power. And they did not build a base of power in South Carolina, um, but they did in Michigan, you know, so that, sure. that sort of 
uh, uneven uh, victory is is what we can hope for. And so a lot of the fights now, you know, especially if McConnell or Manchin is is like uh, you know running the Senate one way or another, is going to be at the state level, and and it's going to be uneven. Um, but there's a lot of openings. Manchin running the Senate. I haven't thought about that. Well, I also mean, bad possibility. You need you need his vote, even if the Democrats are fifty one. Yeah. So, but you know, I think it's going to take new new forms, and um, you know, you need some opening of labor law. And I don't know. Some progressive people say that maybe Biden will do something slightly better uh, on labor, if not other things. Um, but you need some openings. But you, you also just it's a it's a different era, and we need a full spectrum. Uh, yeah. of organizational forms. You can't just simply replicate uh, what happened generations ago. But, you know, you've, you've, you've talked to people like Jane McAlevey and Bill Fletcher Jr. and, and others and, and a whole generation of younger leaders that, that cross into the immigrant rights movement, the Black Lives Movement. So th there's a lot of sort of, there's a lot of visionary minds out there um, yeah. that, that, can, that can try to have some breakthroughs, but there need to be there need to be breakthroughs uh, because we're yeah. we're up against uh, a whole nexus uh, that's 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 not 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 going to give an inch. I mean, I think the thing that I've been thinking about, and you know, Matt and I have we've been quarantining together. We've written Newsbrook together. We've gone through a whole like probably every emotion that a Bernie you know a Bernie progressive yeah. could ever have mm -hmm. in this year, which is all the stages of grief. All the stages yeah. of grief, knowing that this is a person who absolutely is has been proven right time and time again. And now you've got COVID. And suddenly, because of COVID, well, a couple of things. One, I think people have I think voters were afraid to step out. I think voters were afraid um of going with someone and voting with someone like for someone like Bernie. And the fact that COVID held back, you know, there were strategic errors too. We can talk about that later, but um Biden seemed like the safer bet, even though we can talk about how going back to normal will create fascism in the future. But, <laughs> you know, we're here. It seems possible in the spring and February. We're like, hell yeah, Bernie. Yeah. And then COVID hits. And then at a time when we need all of these things in short order, we are our imaginations are reduced to just a little nub of of like Bidenness, you know, yeah. just like this mm -hmm. is what we've got, and all, and and actually, thankfully, it and this is where I was going with this. It will it was enough to defeat Trump, but I I believe that if COVID had not been a thing and Trump mm -hmm. had not bungled it so badly, I think he might have won election again. I think a hundred percent he would have won. I think that that was, yeah, I think that's clear. Uh, the fact that he was uh, defeated, um, the fact that he kept it competitive at all in a year when yeah. he uh, denied a virus that ended up killing 300,000 people uh, so far, I think we can safely say that had that not happened and the economy had stayed doing what it was doing, people would have gone with Trump because he was a safe bet. Right. But uh, it felt to me like this year, um, just to get back to what you were talking about, um, everything went wrong after Super Tuesday because oh, Super sure. Tuesday <laughs> happened. And then I was depressed for a week because uh, Biden uh, ended up um, winning more states. And uh, I think and also delegates. Uh, and then COVID immediately followed and then locked down. And I was like, this year just keeps getting worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I can trace it all back to Super Tuesday. Yeah. Super Tuesday was bad. It was that phone call that Obama made to uh, Klobuchar. Yeah, called up Klobi, called mm -hmm. up uh, Pete. Called up Booty. Yeah, called uh, up Booty. Made a Booty Judge call. Yeah, and 
and decided Beto. to yeah, got Beto on board. Beto, you know, jumped on top of a counter somewhere and said, I'm with you, Mr. President. <laughs> and uh, then he tried to suck a little bit more of his essence for, uh, you know, his entire big <laughs> thing that he does. And then, uh, yeah, and then it all went to shit. And, 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 and I think the worst timing, too. I mean, and, and, and I think, and this is just to bring it to this, the third story for me, which is the Black Lives Matter movement and mm. sort of what you were saying, um, Tej, about, the ways that, I mean, we've talked about this, and if you haven't, if you are for the first for the first time hearing about the reconstruction or why we need a new reconstruction, uh, watch the news broke video about it, um, and also like listen to uh, uh, Reverend William Barber, who has a great speeches and a book on the third reconstruction. Yeah. But the the idea that, but mostly watch our comedy show. About it. Watch our comedy show. <laughs> we we have a little a soundbite from him. Yeah. But but the idea that any real. Um, any real rebuilding of this country always and and needed to have put black Americans in that rubric and not leave them aside. And that if we're moving forward on economic justice, that is part and parcel uh, uh, a fight for racial justice. They right. go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They are integral to one another. And we saw that in this moment of desperation of this country, everyone's on lockdown, that the police and the machinery of the state found it in their fucked up little hearts to not only kill someone like George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, but repress the shit out of anyone who came out to the streets to dare, who dared to protest how uh, unjust that was. And here we're all scrambling for money. The state has no money. Oh, no, no. Here's the fucking money. And I think that crystallized so much for young Americans, uh, obviously black Americans, but everybody. Um, and what was so, what's been so hard about that is the ways that then the Democratic Party has tried to, um, you know, like contain that movement and also blame that movement mm -hmm. by saying it was the defund the police, mm -hmm. you know, slogan that cost you know seats in the house that that's why it was so close with trump you know that that they played into trump's rhetoric you know they kicked up a lot of fucking rhetoric about the blm movement right completely demonizing it so um yeah and and so it just feels like this was also the year where we were just like enough 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 this when will be when will we have the generation that doesn't have to fight for civil rights for all Americans. When do we get there? Because every time it feels like a breaking point, 94, well, after the Rodney King beating and riot, oh, now it's going to change. It doesn't. Like, then that goes back and back and back. And I started talking about Kwanzaa and the, like, the Watts riot, you know, yeah, 65. Right. Like, and, and now it, I think the question is looking forward to 2021. There's no real question. I'm just talking here, you guys. Mm -hmm. Is like, Will we will we work toward having a generation that doesn't have to fight for their rights to actually live normally and not be policed and not be gunned down in the streets, you know? Um, and it almost feels like that's entirely up to uh, the Biden administration. Exactly. I mean, it feels like the the leadership uh, that he has uh, yet to show. I'll give him a chance because he's not even in office yet. Uh in in terms of hearing people's uh demands uh, at the very least uh engaging with them in a constructive way yeah um so far 
not impressed. And I think it is entirely uh, within his power and the power of the of his administration to uh, try to create a generation of people who don't have to continually fight for yes. civil rights. And, you know, we're going to hear another four years, I think, of, uh, oh, well, the Republicans didn't do, you know, this and that. And uh, that's not going to cut it. It's it's not going to cut it. It's not going to uh, convince Or to anyone. spend four years um, calming the fears of Republicans when it comes to yeah. this very righteous movement. Yeah. Um, and I, and it, you know, Biden said that he wants to be FDR. We shall fucking see. It doesn't look likely. Yeah. So far, he hasn't done anything to, to be FDR. I, like, maybe he just meant like, no, I want to die in office. <laughs> like, is that it? Like, is that that's what I meant? I'm a transitional I wa- president. I want to enter a war and die in office. I'm FDR. God. But maybe he can be Johnson, right? Like Johnson, who I just read this today. But you know, I mean, this is this is a president who used the N word a lot. Yeah. And yet he signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and he actually called it the N-word bill. Jeez. I'm not even joking, but this was a right, he's a piece of shit. But this was a seminal piece of legislation that took the work of a lot of grassroots organizers. Mm -hmm. I mean, an actual, you know, people in the streets fighting, fighting like hell for it. Yeah. So, you know, don't give up on a racist i yeah. guess and to me that proves a, an important point which is that uh you know um your political leaders uh are tools and i don't mean that derogatorily well i do but also <laughs> um you know yeah the, this is why anytime anyone shits on organizers or you know calls them like oh they're the organizer class or anything like that um i look at it and i go no these are people who are just understand that uh what uh, politicians are they understand that they are tools and that they can be utilized and um you may not yeah. like the politician because you're like oh they you know stand against everything that i you know uh, you know you may have whatever kind of purity test you have on certain politicians and there's plenty of reasons to hate nancy pelosi but she is a tool and she can be utilized uh i mean if freaking if lbj can be utilized to pass yeah. the civil rights act and the voting rights act right then Nancy Pelosi probably could be used. She just has to be pressured yeah. or, you know, Into kneel- kicked out of office. Kneeling, <laughs> kneeling in her Manolos. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm interested in like, you know, how do you, uh, how do you see from a historical perspective, this civil rights movement now versus, you know, in, yeah, the, the fifties and sixties and um, what, I mean, in some ways, it's all the more dire. <laughs> and I mean, it, it it was dire then, but it felt like at a time when America was sort of ascending, as you were talking about, industrializing, ascending, and leaving out the voting rights of Black Americans. And yet now we're on this like awful screeching decline and we mm-hmm. still find it in our, you know, in the fiber of this country to oppress Black Americans. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, uh, the, the framing of sort of the third reconstruction, I think, is really valuable. And I think from, you know, I mean, from a sort of positive perspective, I think it's really important that we see sort of racial and economic justice as intersecting, not as a coalition, but as, you know, two things that really can't be broke apart, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in the first reconstruction after the Civil War, the first the first schools for white Southerners, 
you know, the first universal schools were in the reconstruction governments with black leadership to even create public schools for white Southerners, you know, and sort of to understand that narrative and the CIO unions that were the backbone of sort of the New Deal uh, leftward openings were interracial at their founding, not necessarily for purely uh, ethical reasons, though there was that too, but also just because of their model of industrial unionism, which was, uh, you know, sort of a class-wide union, uh, which justified uh, a, a sort of power in, in you know, injury to one, injury to all ethic. Yeah. So the CIO unions were interracial. So I think, I mean, you know, the civil rights movement, the Black freedom movement, I mean, I think uh, a couple of key things is the way that it sort of was a whirlwind that emerged out of livelihood struggles. I mean, that's, I write about World War II and the mass service of African-Americans uh, in the armed forces during World War II as this time where everyday livelihood, being a worker in the military or in defense industries, uh, was the basis that grievances were spoken out by service members, men and women, and also the way that sort of echoed into a whirlwind to create a movement, you know, and I think the way that we, that's coming up now, I mean, people have highlighted, you know, Brianna Taylor was an essential worker, you know, she was an emergency yeah. medical worker, you know, and to really sort of foreground those kinds of intersections that don't sort of bracket racial and economic uh, issues from each other and issues that are specific, so-called so, so specific grievances of Black people or Black and Latino and Native people from sort of majoritarian economics, right? Not, not pitting the two against each other, but seeing sort of, you know, when all Black Lives Matter, all Black Lives Matter vision. Um, yeah. Orlando Castile was an essential worker in the public sector, you know, so, so that kind of narrative. And I think telling that story uh, is really important. And it's absolutely true that um, the level of popular sympathy for some of the more radical ideas uh, of the Black Lives Movement now is greater than it was um, among white and non-Black populations in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, historians still debate the backlash uh, to, to the civil rights movement. Did that help Nixon win in 1968? And people have different takes on that. But, it, it you know, the narrative now is much very different uh, because there was far more sympathy. Uh, yeah. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. was not popular uh, among white people in, in the last years of his life at all yeah. in the mm -hmm. way that Black Lives um, has this broad multiracial sympathy now. So that's that's a real opening for these movements, for Green New Deal, Black Lives, these kinds of movements to sort of have a vision for universal policies, um, but also with sort of a racial justice center of gravity. So there's real openings. Yeah, I mean, that was so interesting looking at like Nixon and his election and the way that he played on the exact same shit. I mean, you could compare the ads run in the, that in his campaign and the ads that Trump ran this year and see that the exact same thing. Trump blaming the unrest on Democrats. Motherfucker, mm. it's on you. <laughs> it is on yeah, you. You are in office. <laughs> and Exactly. And my problem with all of that is, is that there's never been a strong counter narrative, just like I think, you know, um, it's funny because Tej and I, you know, I think were came up during the anti-war movement when it was like no one was putting out a counter narrative to the extreme Islamophobia mm -hmm. against Muslims. And in this in the United States, in the world, 
it's instead we've sort of let it dissipate and now it's like kind of gauche and like oh it's not cool anymore and like maybe i don't like 24 anymore and like maybe we realize white white men are actually more likely terrorists than you know muslims are but like there was never a strong counter narrative then as in i mean that issue as in this issue to be like actually this is righteous anger actually you know this is not about unrest in the street like there was you know the, the fact that what is her name? Her name is Kimberly, but I can't remember her last name. Um, the, I think the woman in Kenosha who mm. has this like incredible viral video explaining looting, oh, yeah. explaining, mm. you know, why there is this anger in the streets. Like the fact that we rely on, you know, a protester to tell us, give us the narrative. And yet this the party, the, the Democratic Party isn't offering like a strong narrative countering all of that BS coming out from the right. And that's the question is like, can you ever counter racism um, effectively? I think you can. I just, anyway, so yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like, how do, how do we keep falling back to these tropes and how are we so susceptible? How is the narrative just still so susceptible um, to white people and playing on white people's fear? Um, anywho, this is As a, the only white person on this podcast, uh, I can answer that. I need to be coddled. <laughs> Coddle me. Help me understand. I'm coddling <laughs> Matt right now. Don't speak passionately about any subject. <laughs> <laughs> speak monotonally and I will continue to do nothing. Have the voice of Ira Glass <laughs> yeah. always. Yeah. Uh, please talk in your best Ira Glass <laughs> or Terry Gross, whatever, Terry Gross. whatever your flavor of man is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i'll be sure to you know uh listen it intently and continue to uphold the status quo i have this might be kind of too in-depth but one last question for you tej which is do you see this connection between a resurgence of like real white nationalism far right you know uh extremism and like Amer and like the fact that America's role in the world is shifting because of our like overzealous military ventures that have cost us trillions of dollars and the fact that we're not number one. Like, is there is there a connection where we're just sort of seeing that like fascism? Like, yeah, what's the connection between U.S. global militarism kind of fading and this like rise of far right extremism? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just briefly, I mean, I think, um, you know, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is, like I said, you know, when you say how was there a sort of New Deal prosperity uh, in the 40s and 50s and the, the idea that there was some sort of top down acceptance, right, of higher wages and some welfare state because there was super profits, you know, from a sort of right. consumer society and building the suburbs and other kinds of things. Um, working class people move to the suburbs and they buy consumer products. And so there was that narrative. So there is this, you know, and this is, you can have an economist on to explain the precise econ economics, but there's a perception that there was economic growth uh, in the 40s, the 50s, and into the 60s um, that created profits and created growth. Uh, and sort of with the turn towards neoliberalism, with declining profits, the rich want to just hoard their money uh, you know, uh, in their own private, uh, ways. And, and in, in the popular imagination is this idea that we can't just keep growing the economy and then having some redistribution. So that, mm. that certainly gives a, a place for, 
uh, nationalism and racism and other kinds of sectoral sort of uh, sorting. And then the idea that those who are worthy uh, need to, 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 to get whatever they get, you know, whether they're middle class or working class. So it's or, basically part of the game um, of pitting working people against each other. It's like, it's, a, it's all in service of hoarding more yeah. and being like, no, no, trickle down economics. Let's not, no redistribution, no, no corporate tax rate. Don't raise the corporate tax rate, right? Just Absolutely. keep it as, as yeah. fact, lower it. No, it's, yeah. I mean, it's still as old as time, I think, but, um, and with, you I, know, we'll see it with also climate change, right? If, if, you know, there's all this narrative of when right-wing parties sort of acknowledge climate change, how will they then, you know, uh, use eco-fascism and other kinds of ways of, uh, you know, protecting those who are worthy and those who are on their side. Um, but, yeah. you know, this, this, it was contested then and it was debated then and it's contested now and it's, it, it can be debated now. Being taken to church, to school. Um, I We have to wrap up pretty soon, but uh, there, this has been enlightening. Um, I've, there's a couple of comments that I wanted to uh, read. Uh, Machiavelli Outlaw says, is that Matt's, is that, is that, is it Matt's, Matt that's laughing? I can read during Fran's AJ Plus shows. Yes. Yes. That is me. That's that is my, it's my big loud stupid laugh. Yep. Yeah. It's a good time. And it's, it keeps me going. Really. It does. It does. Audience of one. Yeah, it really is just mm -hmm. me running camera and sound and uh, and then laughing. Cursing the whole time. Like. Oh, yeah. No, I hate every minute where I have to do uh, like camera and sound. Yeah. I am not good at it. He's like, I'm a joke writer. I'm a joke writer, okay? Um, I'm an artist. Little video I'm a creative. Main, little video main on YouTube. Thank you for the $5 super chat uh, asking, hi, do you think Nina Turner will win? Also, what's your guy's favorite treat? Love uh, you. Love you. I don't know if Nina Turner I will win. I fucking hope so. I really hope so. I hope so. so. She is amazing. Uh, Ohio should be so lucky. And hell yeah, we need her in Congress. What's my favorite treat? Mm. Booze. <laughs> That's true. This is Anything true. With, I, you know, I, I've been better at yoga this year, but I've also been better at drinking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been very good at drinking. Yeah. Um, so for me, it is a dirty martini is a great treat yeah. for me. I like Swedish fish. <laughs> you like all candy. I like all candy. I'm allergic to peanuts, so I don't like all candy. But I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Something about Swedish fish, Swedish man. Swedish fish. Yeah, it's a good fish. They're red. It's yeah, delicious. they're really they're nice and chewy. They're I get chew that. Yeah, I like. But they em. get stuck in your teeth. That's okay. Okay, Tesh, what's your favorite later. snack? Uh, I like I like gin. <laughs> Going with the alcohol. Theme. Bunch of adults over here. All right, my answer has changed. I like heroin. <laughs> Deal with it. Favorite treat. Come on. Um. No, what do I like? Uh, um, like that's sweet. Yeah, what's a sweet you like? I just had some strawberry rhubarb pie and I ate mm. the whole pie. You did eat every the whole single pie. day, every single morning. I ate a slice of strawberry yeah, rhubarb. Yeah, she's pie in the morning. Delicious. Pie in the morning. Tej, pie Nothing in the morning. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> There's something about like that that much sugar in the morning. I just can't. I can't abide it. I can't. Says the guy who eats cinnamon toast crunch at night. I eat it at <laughs> night. 
That's the best time to eat all your fatty foods. Nighttime. Then you sleep. You let it digest. You're strong like a sumo wrestler. Uh Uh-huh. That's why sumo wrestlers are so healthy. I love sumo. Sumo wrestlers just eat like Donbury, you know, just like chicken and veggies over rice and then goes to sleep immediately. Yeah, honestly. And And I love that. I want to do that. It's an amazing life. And it is like... uh, you know, every time they have like that phrase, like live fast, die young, they always show like James Dean, show a sumo wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys are celebrities. They, they fuck all the time and they eat at night. You think they fuck? Oh, they fuck. Okay. All right. We have one more segment, you guys. We're running long, but that's okay. You're here. Thank you still for it's being It's the last here. of the year. It's the last episode of the whole effing year. Yeah. We're doing America's New Year's resolutions. Mm. Okay, this is a difficult one. But given all of the muck and all of the historical muck that we've tried to wade into this evening, um, what are our New Year's resolutions for this country in 2021? (laughs) I have so many. I got one. Please. Um, Collectively get together and... uh, just kill Henry Kissinger. Here's the thing. <laughs> he, the fact that he is going to survive this year uh, is, I mean, there's no God, right? So no, if there yeah. is no God, then the people have to be gods. And we have to all get together uh, in solidarity and unity and use our godlike ability to just snuff him out with a pillow and a sleep. I'm not talking about like <laughs> fucking guillotining him. I mean, he deserves it. But I feel like save the guillotine for like your Bezos's, your Musk, you know. Right, right, right. But for him, just like a pillow. Yeah. You know? He's very small. You can- yeah. <laughs> He's got a pillow-like face too. He wouldn't even know. He would just think, "Is this a mirror?" And then it would just like boom, and then he's dead. Um. It's true. It is true. Um, Dick Cheney is also still alive. I, I always periodically remind everyone about that. Yeah, but he's he's not. I mean, he's more machine than man at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's a reason he's still alive and it's called like uh, uh, robotics. And, uh, you know, uh, he's he's uh, drinking adrenochrome straight from like a, a, a virgin baby's <laughs> head. So. I, I think, uh, Tej, what's your new, new Year's resolution for America? Um. Maybe a little serious one is, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, Black Lives activists say uh, high impact, low ego. So Mm. I think, you know, I think some of the maybe some of the quarantining, like the way that's driven some people into more, you know, kind of. Uh, bad things and 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 toxic things yeah, and egoist behavior things but for others it's been a kind of also just like tune out and reconnect to reality so i yeah. think that the high impact low ego mm. um thing and Good. you know one one thing is with the black lives movement and sort of the george floyd uprising the way a lot of these organizers who are real organizers in long-term movements have become public intellectuals like uh you know, like Ruth Gilmore, Marianne yeah. Cuba, Rachel Herzing, um, like these people are writing books. Um, you know, people who've been doing organizing or writing books that are getting to a much bigger audience. So I think that's something that, you know, we can we can sort of all sort of implement in our lives. High impact, low ego, you know, kind of. Uh, I burped and Matt, that's why she's doing this. Matt work. had a lot of high impact and 
I had a salami. How low you go <laughs> with that burp, dude? Just what is in your stomach? That it's was, just trash. No, it was cheese. It was it's trash. Salami uh, and hummus. God, that's so fucking gross. <laughs> and a salt crunch. And a saltine cracker. And cinnamon toast crunch. I ate uh, very weird. Okay. Okay. I think a New Year's resolution is, hmm, so many things. But I want to see us do one big thing. Just one big thing. And that one, that one big thing could even be stopping the spread of the virus. It could even be that I'm going to I'm going to set the bar that low. We should have done that before, but I know it's a it's a hard virus to stamp out. But if if it's not that, let's do one big thing. Is it, um, you know, stopping the like uh, stopping fossil fuel subsidies? One big thing. Yeah. Right. Um, is it lowering the age of Medicare? I'm not going to say Medicare for all lowering it to 60. Ugh. One big thing. It's a sad, small thing. But OK. Fine. Something something big. While well, we're wishing 55. 55. <laughs> Come on. Like we're wishing here. Let's like, you know. Right, right, exactly. But like at least deliver. I want to see one one big step in the right direction. Yeah. And that is going to come from the streets. That's going to come from the halls of Congress. That's going to come from all of us. And that in addition to getting off Twitter. Also follow the Bituation Room on Twitter yes. at Bituation Pod. And follow me at Franny Fio. And follow all of my wonderful guests, Professor Tej Nagaraja of Cornell University. Thank you so much for being here. Follow his work. Um, follow his writing. He's learning to not tweet in abbreviations. Because um, being a professor, he likes to somehow tweet in bibliography. Um, so I make fun of him for doing that. Tej Nagaraja, follow him. Thank you so much for being here, Tej. Please be well. Stay safe and have a good beginning of your year and end of this year. And to all of you out there into the ether, I just want to send my undying love and affection. Please, if you have a little spare change, uh, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. Those donations help me help you. <laughs> help you. No, they are going in part and they've gone in part this entire year to so many different organizations. And thank you for that. They've also gone to my producer, Becca Roofer, and who is amazing. Once again, thank you to her and to uh, Kelly Carey and Dorsey Shaw on the other side of YouTube, making sure that this content train keeps running. Um, thank you so much also for that super chat. I just We just received. Gosh, that's so, so, so sweet Damn. of you. Um, and until next year, you guys, uh, be safe. Fuck the patriarchy, fight the power, don't just bitch about it, be about it, and let's remember probably maybe the funniest moment of this year. So this record is in honor of George Floyd, and I really hope we can see more unity and more peace when already things are so difficult. So, shout out to his family. of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream. No! Hell yeah, dude. David Guetta on the top of, I think, the Freedom Tower. 
just uh, you know, co-opting MLK Jr. <laughs> to and the BLM movement to no end. But look, guys, it's made it into the ma mainstream. Let's actually make change. All right, take good care, y'all. Be well. Bye.